the word of God, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. Would you go to the fourth chapter, please? Start in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Can you repeat after me? Because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word like always, God. If it wasn't for your revelation, we'd have no idea who you are or even if you exist. We'd be groping around in the darkness of this moral, spiritual wilderness we call earth, Father God. Going fast and going nowhere, Father. Empty on the inside, chasing empty things, Father God. Have no meaning to life and existence whatsoever. But you manifested yourself to us in the person of your son, the giving of your son and your spirit, Father God. And I pray, Father God, that you speak to our hearts today. Are we shy of the love of God? Are we forfeiting the love of God? Most of all, Father God, teach us your love. In Jesus' name, amen. To be sure, we live in a society filled with information. And it's not just information, it's information at our fingertips. We have vast amounts of information on our cell phones. We can go into ancient civilizations and learn new languages. We can stay abreast of current events. There is no no question you have that you can't talk into a phone and ask that person's name. Siri, would you mind? And we get information. Matter of fact, sometimes it's information overload. But like John, we also live in a society with a lot of misinformation. Where things can go easily wrong. We can get wrong impressions of something or a wrong impression of someone. And we're talking about wrong impressions of someone. That's God. That's what John's audience was dealing with. That's what John's writing in his letter. Uh, And that's what we're dealing with today. A misinformation, a, a misrepresentation of the love of God. Me and my wife learned a principle many years ago. We lived by this principle. And the principle is this. We will not formulate an opinion or evaluate someone else by someone else's thoughts of that person. We've learned the hard way to draw a conclusion on someone before you even meet them, before you even know them. We've decided to build our own relationships with all 
people. And from there, we can evaluate as time goes on whether it's a person of character and substance and and fidelity and faith and encouragement and someone I want to share my heart with. Many years ago, my wife joined a small company. Actually, it was so small, it was her and the boss, and that was it. That's it. Terry was 19, right out of the secretary school and she went to work for this gentleman, nice man she had good thoughts of him, he was a nice gentleman and as the firm started to grow people started coming in he hired family members and so on and so forth and within a short period of time they started talking you cannot trust him you, he, he's not the person you think he is and that sort of, that type of atmosphere and my wife would have her own relationship with the boss and needless to say Three and a half decades later, all those people are gone. This man could not have been nicer and kinder and more generous to my wife to the point she now is part owner of that company. He's moved on and left the company with my wife and a couple others. See, misinformation. If If you would have said yes to those other people who were grumbling in the office, you would get a wrong impression of the boss. And my wife chose to build her relationship based on a mutual edification and concern and civility to one to another. Not what other people were saying. John was combating all sorts of misinformation about God. Some were saying Jesus is really not human, he's only divine. And that was throwing the congregation off. We thought it was divine. Other people were running around saying, Jesus is divine, but he's not human. And he's human, he's not divine. And there was a confusion going on in the church. So John writes a short letter to let people know, this is who God is. This is the love of God, because God is love. And he's manifested himself to us. As the apostle of Christ that he was... He's allowed to have God speak for himself. God speak for himself. In our world today, many people are speaking about God and God's love. But most of it is misinformation at best or misleading at worst. It's damaging. It cannot produce what God's love is designed to produce. Love is designed to produce something. It's like watering seed. If you water seed in the right atmosphere... In the right ground, it produces something. That's what love does. Love produces change in other people's lives. That's genuine Christian love. That's the love of God. We sang it, we felt it, we experienced it today. It can easily be said that love has to be the greatest subject matter ever written about. We sing about it. Write great books about it, novels about it, movies about it, poetry, songs. Of what the world needs today is what? It's cheap. Talk is cheap. And as moving as these poems and as these movies and these novels are, and could they possibly be greater than the subject matter? Love itself is the greatest subject matter, but how much more of God's love? You're talking about God's love. Is there someone stand up and tell me there's a greater subject matter than the love of God? Who would attempt to stand up and say, well, I, I disagree with that?
Today, the word love is cheap. It's real cheap. Cheap, cheap. It's used for everything and everything. I love this, I love that, I hate this, I hate that. We, they're expressions, and we know that, but it really, sometimes they cross the line, and we don't realize that we're, we're cheapening the value of the genuineness to say, I love you. That's supposed to bring life. Many years ago, I worked with a man. And I know him for several years, and he was a good man. He was a good hard worker, civil, nice gentleman, and uh, he was telling me how much he loved his family, showed me pictures and everything. And then one night I asked, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to see my girlfriend. (laughs) Now I say that because to him, he's told me he loved his wife and he loved his family, but to him, this is his love. But he also had his girlfriend. But this is the mixed information that's out there. This is, we, we cheapen love. We, we bring down love to some sort of uh, earthly base standard of what we want it to be. We, we self-interpret what we mean by love. Should we allow the love of God to be left to men's opinions or personal interpretations or personal feelings or some kind of personal hypothesis? Is this what we do with the love of God? Do we cheapen it? Should mortals who know that they have prejudice in the heart, anger in the heart, even hate, and have a mixed bag of emotions, should they expound on divine perfect love? Should that which is finite and subject to time and space, along with consistent failures to love people who are created in God's image, Should we rely on them to define eternal love? It's outside our jurisdiction is what I'm saying. And is God's love purely some emotional, sentimental feeling? Is God's love separate from his justice as moral creator who is morally perfect? You see, only God can answer the questions of his own divinity and his own love. Only God is qualified to reveal himself. You you do not want to hear Brian Mark expound on who God is. Please pray for me that when I go to the scriptures, I expound on what the scriptures teach about God. You don't want my opinions. You don't want my hypothesis. You don't want my, my vain imaginations. I want to know God, not a thought. Only God is qualified to reveal himself, especially his love. If men speak about God and his love and they're not allowing God to speak for himself, then it's just more misinformation about God. And in the end, that person ends up missing the best of God and his gift of salvation. John's words aren't his own thoughts on the matter of God's love, some kind of quick theology on the spot. We read in 1 John in the prologue, he says, that which we have heard, that which we have seen, that which we have touched and handled concerning the word of life. And this is life, eternal life in Jesus Christ. He's not saying, you know something, I had a dream one day. He wasn't like Muhammad that went into a cave and God downloaded information. 
It wasn't like the Mormon church who found these, 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 these golden platelets in, in a cave somewhere and an angel came and visited him. Jesus Christ came in the flesh and the apostles saw him and walked with him and talked with him. And most of all, they saw him murdered and crucified on a cross. And then when John says we saw him and beheld him, he, what he's talking about is not his resurrection. We saw the resurrection. We handled the resurrection. I grabbed the resurrection. I embraced the resurrected Christ. This is not some kind of quick theology, and I use this many times. People never give God a second thought. But if you ask them a spiritual religious question, they're quick to give you what? An answer. I love to ask people those kind of questions. I, I like to sit back and they pontificate out of the top of them. Just, oh yeah, this is what I think it is. Like, well, tell me, where did you read that? Have you been meditating on that? Have you been writing on this? Have you, have, are you steeped in this kind of teaching? Where did you get that idea? John is not saying, well, this is the love of God. John is saying, God has qualified me to preach on his son and his own love because I've seen him, I've held him, I've spoke to him, he spoke to me, I saw it, I'm going to testify to it, and I'm going to proclaim it to the world. That's what qualifies someone. I cannot get up here and speak about the love of God if spiritually I have not been awakened on the inside. I cannot come up here 26 years later from walking to a church one day for no other reason because my wife wanted me to go. But God wanted me to stay. And I never walked out. You have to know God. You have to walk with God. You have to almost touch Him and feel Him. You have to live with Him. And you have to love others who are created in the image of God before we're qualified. To speak on the love of God. Let's go to our text. The Bible speaks much about the love of God. But our verses tonight represent in short form. What most of the scriptures say in its entirety. On the love of God. Five things I'll speak about tonight. My wife likes to take notes. And make sure I keep with them too. One. That there is a God of love. That's number one. Number two, what God's love is not. Number three, what it consists of, how do we define it? What is the means to that end? And what's the cause and effect of God's love? That's all wrapped up in our text tonight, and I'll be speaking about that. Let's go to the first one. Jack, if you could pull up verses 7 and 8, and I'll comment on 7 first. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because why? God is love. The first thing I want to speak about here, that there is a God loved. In these verses, especially verse 7, John teaches us in no uncertain terms that God the creator is love. It is love. He is love. Everything God does is from this attribute. Everything he's ever spoken into existence from the first molecule was done out of motivated love. 
pure, unadulterated, no agenda driven love. All God's dealing in his universe and with his creatures stem from an expression of his love to his creatures that were created in his image, created in the image of God as an expression of the love that God has in himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune, social being. They're personal social beings. It's what drives us. We're social creatures. It's an expression of the love of God when a husband and wife love one another. When you, when you see the child born and you're overwhelmed, you're not thinking about anything else but the love of the child. God has given that to us, given that to us. Genuine mutual love between friends. I think friendship is one of the most undeveloped and unappreciated social dynamics in the world today. I love my friends more now than I ever have before. To try to go through the rest of my life without dear friendships, to me, is a prison sentence. I love the roots I have in the community. I love what God has done for me. I love the friendships I have, all different types. That's a quality of God's love toward. That's an expression of being created in His image. That's love. He created out of love and he redeems out of love. And it's always for our good. It's always for our pleasure. It's always for our safety. It's always for his deepest joy. It's always for those great intangibles of life that really make life worth living. It's not about things. It's about God and others. Do you know the great two commandments? Love God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's life. If you're looking to enjoy life and you're not looking to God and to others, you're going to miss life. If you're trying to create some kind of great life, you're going in the wrong direction. Great life's found in God. Life His way. Even when we don't understand it, even when it hurts. It's God's goodness and his love towards us. That there is love, we know that. Verse 8 says, go back to my notes. What what the love of God is not. It's the negative. He says it here. Anyone who does not love, the negative, does not know God, the negative. Why? Because God is love. Anyone who does... God's love is not powerless. It's not about words. It's not about my friend who says he loved his wife, but I guess he liked his girlfriend. That's not the love of God. Okay? It's not about quoting scriptures. It's not about lip service. It's not about going to church and going through the rituals and going through the ceremonies where you're thinking about everything else but God. God's love changes us. 
And for those who say they know Jesus Christ and that love and that love has not changed us from the innermost depths of our being outward, then John is saying, you don't know God. God's love is not some sort of curiosity, it's not a novelty, it's not some mystery, it's not ambiguous, it's not transcendent, it's not something we kick around in the street, it is not cheap. Period. God stands behind his own love. It's not open to yours or my interpretation of him. It's intrinsic. The power to change is intrinsic in the love of God. Parents, school teachers, coaches, mentors, friendships, these relationships change us for the better. They help us to emotionally mature and a sense of self-worth and to, and to exist in this world. That's, that's what mutual encouragement, that's what love does. Love builds us up. Love points others to the right direction. It acts like a beacon in the darkness. Love has hands and feet and it looks to help people. It looks to guide people. God came into our life. He manifested himself for this reason. To give us life. Not just to hang around and say, hey everybody, I'm love. But you're going to die in your sins anyway. No, he came to work. Love showed up and manifested itself in Christ and went to work. God rolled up his sleeves in the sun and did something for us and took us out of the darkness. I can't sit there and watch my friend who's telling me he doesn't have a drinking problem when he's a drunk and his life is falling apart and there's a pink elephant in the room and he thinks I'm going to fall for it. That's not love. That's a cover-up. And my other friend over here is telling me, it's okay to have girlfriends and it's okay to do this. I'm not going to allow that either. And another one's going to tell me, well, I see my son once in a while, but I'm busy doing this and I'm busy doing that. No, if you love me and I love you and we're in a relationship, I'm going to tell you, you know something, you're wrong. You need to be a father. You need to show up. You need to be hands-on. That's what love does. God, when he showed up, he didn't just say, here I am, everybody. He pointed us in the direction to the light of the world. He says you're all in darkness. That's what love does. It's not about a warm little feeling. I've shared this before. I had a friend of mine come in once. Going through a very difficult time in his life. He was looking for help. He would go to churches. And he loved the music. And there was a warm feeling. But one day he says I'm not getting it. I said, what are you trying to get? Because I just don't get it. I say, oh, you mean you want to have the happiness that everybody else has? He goes, yeah. I said, they're happy because they're forgiven. I said, happiness comes after you go to the cross personally and say, God, come into my life. You manifested yourself for me. I need life. I need, I need the forgiveness of my sins. I said, why everybody's so happy and what you're looking for is because they personally went to Jesus and they asked for forgiveness. It's the beginning of happiness. Love is the Christian's game face. We put it on and we go into the world and we expose the world to the love of God. 
The world does not know the love of God. It has its misinformation, its misrepresentations, it has its theories, it has its opinions, it has its guessology, it has its hypothesis, but it doesn't have the reality of the love of Christ. Churches speak about God consistently without bringing people to the purpose of God. Propitiation. The forgiveness of our sins. We can't compare the love of God with just a family love, though there are similarities. Or friendship love, though there are similarities. God and only God has met yours and mine's deepest need, not our wants. Not about our wants. God sees what we really need. I remember crying out one day. I was crying out. It was just when God, I couldn't put down the the cocaine and I couldn't put down the alcohol and and everything else that went with it. I remember the tears were running down my face. I was like, God, you got to take this away. And, and, And it needed to be taken away. But God showed me there was something else I needed more than everything. Because that was just symptoms of not having faith in Christ. That was all symptoms. I thought it was, if the symptoms were gone, I'll be better. Take away the consequences and I'll be okay. Just trim the fruit of madness, but leave the root intact. Don't touch the root of sin and selfishness of my heart. Three, what God's love consists of. Verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest. Listen to this proposition. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him This is God's game face. He he came here to show us something. The love of God was manifest. He made his love manifest. Not to those who deserved it. Nobody does. But to those who needed it. Everybody does. By sending his precious son into a hostile world. On a mission of mercy. He died on a mission to save others from eternal And not just eternal death, but a living death, a hopeless life on earth where the future is always uncertain. There are so many regrets from the past. We're confused about the present. We're trying to enjoy life. We're trying to embrace life. But our soul cries out for higher aspirations than just having another good day. Am I right? It's not, oh, it's Friday night, thank God it's Friday, and and we we throw everything into Friday night, and then Saturday comes, and it's, oh, God. I can't wait till it's Friday again. And it's this vicious cycle of trying to sort of make life better. Even though hostility and sure death awaited Jesus Christ, he came anyway he did not come to be served but to give his life a ransom this is where we start understanding what the love of God consists of it is perfectly sacrificial selfless in its perfection 
Do you know something? God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need us. He's perfect in his own intrinsic being. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God. Perfect in harmony and unity. Though there's diversity in the three persons of the Godhead. Absolute, total, eternal, divine mystery to you and me. And if it wasn't for the scriptures made manifest to us, I'd have no idea who God is. He reveals. He's qualified. Not just to tell me a story, but to reveal himself to me. Love is not defined by just meeting a loved one's needs. It's defined by meeting anyone's needs. And no one's qualified for this. No one deserves this. This is the beginning of understanding God's love. It removes emotions about God's love. It removes sentiment about God's love. It removes feelings and nostalgia about God's love. Like, you know, I hear people talk about the love of God on TV and it sounds like Santa Claus. Or it sounds like, you know, just some... Who is that guy? God's love is a response to man's greatest needs, not to what we desire or want. And he says that we might live. Our greatest need is a real life. It's a life worth living. In the Gospels of John, life is always equated with eternal life, with God. It's the best of God. And that's when life begins worth living. A life that you know it has no end. And it's with God, eternal in quantity, but perfect in substance. It meets not just others' needs around us, but it meets our deepest human cry. Genuine relationship with God and with each other. Free from bias and hatred. Free from the power of sin. We need a life that's free from the fear of death. We need a life that's free from the lives of Satan. We need a life that's free. Free from a wrong understanding of God. That's idolatry. We need to be free from the internal war that rages inside our hearts. This low level looking for satisfaction. This low level anxiety. This low level uncertainty about the future, it's there, it's always, there's this fear of mortality, of sickness, and you've got all these low lying fears, they're there, and they try to pop their heads up, and we suppress it with something, and then we suppress something else, and, and we make our whole life, we manufacture a way to suppress the war that rages within. He replaces it with genuine hope. Hope that goes past the grave and into eternity. That's why we sing. A peace that transcends understanding. It's not a peace because something good happened to me. It's a peace that it's there no matter what happens to me. You're stable and unshakable because of the peace of God. And there's this joy. Underneath it all, there's there's a happy song. This is what the only begotten of the Father has done for us. This is the love of God. It awakens spiritual life. 
this contentment for the first time on the inside. We've got these religious affections. I want to pray. I want to sing. I want to read my Bible. I want to tell others about Jesus Christ. I want to care for the needs of other people. I want to meet people's deepest needs. I want to be there. I want to be somebody in someone else's life. That's the love of God. It's a love that changes us from the inside out and gives us genuine Christ-like character. This is the love of God. What's the means to this end? Verse 10, in this the love, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent us sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. First things first. Listen, not that we have loved God. With these six words, John destroys human pride. There's something in us that's like. I'm not too bad. Me and God like this. He sees how good I think I am. He sees how good I'm telling everybody I am. He he, he knows the story. No, John says, no, 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 no. Let's get this right from the beginning. Not that we have loved God. Man's ability to think that he is some kind of intrinsic ability or desire to love God or obey God with all his heart, strength, soul, and mind is a myth, if not a lie, of Satan. No, man is a sinner through and through and must first be made right with God through propitiation. Sin is a barrier. It separates us from God. And the only answer is this fancy, judicial, legal word called propitiation. It's the removal of the stain of sin and the wrath of God that we deserved. God loved us so much, he took on himself his own anger towards us, and that's propitiation. Jesus Christ is the substitute on the cross. Good Friday is not some historical event that might have happened. Good Friday happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus in Gethsemane was praying to take the cup of the wrath. But if not, thy will be done, so be it. And he went to the cross and he suffered the death you and I and us deserve and gave us the life we don't deserve. That's propitiation. It's like a criminal, not just getting amnesty, fancy word that's going around these days. Presidents like to just let people, prisoners free. Amnesty. No, Jesus Christ didn't give you and I amnesty. He paid the penalty. He paid the penalty. He did the time for us. Make no mistake about it. This is not just what God forgives because we're human. It's human error and it's divine to forgive. No, 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 no. Don't ever get caught up with that kind of theology. Propitiation. Jesus is the sin bearer who bore the wrath of God that we deserve. And that's why we sin. And that's why we live it from the inside out. And that's why my friend who came, he wanted what he saw, but he didn't know how to go to Jesus and ask. He wanted what he, he knew it was real. 
I pray that God's not through with him yet. Something else about God's love. You don't hear it a lot. It's what I just said. You see, God's love tells the truth. People would like to take the word propitiation out of the Bible. There have been theologians that try to remove the word propitiation or soften the word propitiation. Make no mistake, God loves you so much, He's willing to show up and tell you the truth. You're dead in sin, and you need to be alive in Christ. It's the only hope. It's the only hope. There is no other hope. Don't try to wiggle your way in. You got to come face to face with the cross. No stealth. You're not going to sneak by St. Peter at the gate. You got to stand before God, either forgiven or unforgiven. Eternal bliss or an unimaginable misery forever. It's one or the other. Salvation and life begins here with Christ. But don't miss this, because that's God's, God's love is motivated by our greatest need. The Old Testament was filled with sacrifices of, of oxen and sheep and goats and, and everything else. But understand something, that was only a type of the, the genuine exercise of God's love towards us. When he manifested his love in Christ at the cross, if Christ was divine... And Christ was human, which he was. And he was to come around and tell people, do, to, do better or try better or, or whatever it is and not go to the cross. He did nothing for humanity at all. The world doesn't need another motivational speaker. It doesn't need another example. What, what the world needs is a savior, a friend of sinners. And that's who Christ is. I'm grateful that 26 years ago when I walked into a Bible-believing church, being a churchgoer and a religious person, but I never went to a Bible-believing church. And my wife invited me because she came to Christ. And she came to Christ because her sister invited her to go to church. Everybody had these happy faces on, and I was uncomfortable around the happy face. My first introduction to the happy faces was when I came home one night about 8 o'clock and, and I opened up the door and, and I opened up the door to my own apartment and there's a party going on. And there was Willie Cole. Willie Cole is the darkest African American I've ever seen. With the biggest white pearly teeth and the biggest smile. And I opened up the door and he said, Hallelujah! <laughs> And I looked at my wife, I said, what's going on here? <laughs> they were throwing a party for my sister-in-law. She got water baptized. So I walked in, I got my pool cue. And I said, I'll see you later. And I went to the pool. <laughs> but the love of God is so powerful that no matter how uncomfortable I was, he drew me. And then I came to church. All 240 pounds of me hiding in the back. <laughs> listening to the music. Maybe nobody would see me in the back. Everybody's just... Here I am, sticking up. 
And the tears are coming down. I'm trying to hold back the tears. Because I felt the love of God, man. It's real. The love of God is not some sort of ambiguous, mysterious, out there, transcendent teaching that can't be experienced. It changes life. And I never looked back. Ever. Not perfect, far from it. Still fighting my humanity. But God spoke and it produced something in my heart. And the last one. The cause and effect of God's love. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, listen to the question. It's like this is a 90-year-old apostle now. It might be a little older than 90 years old. He's seen it all. And you can see him just sit, sitting back, reflecting and contemplating. He's writing, Beloved, if God so loved us, isn't it natural response that we ought to what? It's, it's, the apostle says, is that too much to ask? Love one another. Look what Christ has done for us. Here's the cause and effect of God's love. It can't be yes or no. Or a love of its own making, like my friend who said he loved his wife and his girlfriend and his family. He was all busy doing all these nice things. But underneath the nice things were a lot of bad things. But he was covering up the bad things with the nice, you know, very busy doing a lot of nice things. And calling it love. That's not love. Love is committed. Love makes hard choices. Love shows up. Love is responsible. Love is accountable. And love seeks the other person's best interests. If that's not in the equation, it's certainly not the love of God. But it could be the love that this world produces. God has manifested his love towards us. And he demonstrated that love at the cross. And now he calls you and I to manifest it and demonstrate it each to one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for challenging us. We thank you for saving us. We thank you that you revealed and manifested your love at the cross, God. We'd be so broken in this world, Father God, if we thought that politics was the answer to the world's problems. Another ceasefire is the problem, is the answer to the world's problems. More cops... More military, more bombs is the answer to man's problems. Legalize sin. That's, that's the answer to man's problem. It's, it's, there's nothing taboo anymore. Just go for the gusto and do whatever you want. Eat and drink for tomorrow you die. That's not the answer. It doesn't satisfy the human soul. Lord Jesus... Only you can satisfy us. And I pray if anyone is in here that does not know this love, I pray you reveal yourself to them in that most generous, glorious way of Savior. Let them know that you truly died for their sins on the cross. And they too can have this life that we bear witness to today, Father. I ask you to bless everybody in this room, Father God. In Jesus' name.